domestic violence was just a normal thing. In our neighborhood, if it wasn't me and my brothers crying, it was the next door neighbor's kids. I would see a lot of violence from men. Uh, I actually shifted from a few different homes. Lots of abuse happened to me in them. Um, verbally, sexually. Some of these homes wouldn't even feed you, which actually brought me to um, being out on the streets. 12 years of age, I ended up um, being a part of the street workers of, of K Road. Young soldier of God, steady march. So I'm Tommy Iraki, and I'm actually born and bred South Auckland, um, originally from Mangere first, and then, yeah, just pretty much grew up around South Auckland. I've um, gone through subs care at a very young age, um, came through a, a domestic violence kind of family, similar to, um, as we would all know, once warriors. Um, I've, uh, because of that, I've gone through subs care, um, and also, uh, you know, which actually brought me to um, being out on the streets, you know, and being um, homeless. Um, and also, um, I think it was about 10 or 11, yeah, and, um, and then actually really engaging um, with what I found uh, was a community that embraced me, which was um, the LGBT community, and um, yeah, at 12 years of age, I ended up um, being a part of uh, what we call um, the um street workers of, of K Road. Well, as you, as everyone would know back in the early nineties had um it was a very difficult time for many people that were of um the LGBT community I guess. And um there was an exterior that everyone had to be staunch as you would know. And um a, a lot of you know the manly figures in my life uh, were very much that you know, into um, uh, the, the gang side of things and uh, being the um, manly man, as you would say. Um, and, yeah, so I guess uh, to, to be a safe haven, um, my family thought it would be a good idea for me to actually go into Sipskia. This unspoken community of South Auckland where, you know, in the early like 80s and 90s, um, domestic violence was just a normal thing. In our neighbourhood, if it wasn't me and my brothers crying, and me and my brothers and sisters crying, it was the next door neighbours' kids that were crying. And if it wasn't my parents crying, they were fighting, um, it was the next door neighbours. So um, everyone that grew up in the 90s, you kind of understand and know what I mean. Um, it actually made me feel like I didn't want to be any part of it. Uh, because of the fact that, uh, you know, um, I would see a lot of violence from men to men, to women, to kids. And just knowing and understanding that I didn't want to be any way, shape or form like a man. Um, I feel like um, a lot of the manlier figures in my life I didn't want to really be a part of. And then the gentleness and the love um, you know, I would get it from um, it more the, the womanly figure, which then I embraced and wanted to be.
you know, I don't blame my parents and I just really want to say this wholeheartedly because not everyone get, gets given a manual to how to um, look after your kids, especially not in the 90s. And um, there was a lot of things going on back then. But the reason why I want to say that is that because I know that my parents really love me and they love me dearly. But um, I went into Sipscare and um, and from Sipscare at such a young age, um, the people that uh, I actually shifted from a few different homes um, a few different organizations uh, where, you know, um, lots lots of abuse happened to me in the end, um, verbally, sexually, um, physically, uh, emotionally. Um, and, yeah, so at that young age of going from different home to home, sometimes um, some of these homes wouldn't even feed you. They would actually have family come around and they'd buy a Kentucky Fried Chicken with the money that they're supposed to be using for us. And um, that's kind of, you know, when it came to this part where um, it started coming towards sexual abuse for me, that's when I took off and ran away. I just started roaming the streets of Auckland because I was in a a particular home called You Think Family Trust. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that went on there that shouldn't have went on. A lot of abuse, you know, physical, um, sexual, uh, verbal, um, through not only just staff but also other kids within the organisation um, that were, I guess, a lot more um, stronger than others you know, physically stronger. And so, um, yeah, you'd, you'd get picked on a lot. It would look really great and, you know, the carers would come across really fantastic and they seemed like they, I guess, really cared. And then as soon as when the social worker would leave, it would all switch. And that's why I'm saying, like, the mental abuse is, like, um, they wouldn't even talk to you at times. Um, they didn't know how to interact with you. It was like a, they're putting on a show each time when um, the, the um, what, what they call children and young person services would come around. Uh, the Youth League Family Trust was actually based in Newmarket um, and on Almora Road at the time. Um, and they had this little back piece that kind of veered off into where the motorway was. Um, and so I just roamed the streets until eventually, um, as I was, you know, uh, walking, um, you know, I tell a lot of people I look like an attractive young lady, you know, and, um, you, I just thought that people was, were like stopping to actually care for me, not knowing what the whole thing was all about and running away. And, um, yeah, people actually were trying to pick me up. And um, and I thought they actually cared, but they really didn't. They were, I guess, um, predators. yeah, predators. Yeah, because at that time I was like 11, 12, and, um, and they were just trying to enticed me into their car and because I had nowhere to go and um, I you know was so hurt um, I just had to try and find like I was trying to find love and trying to confide in people and so 
yeah, I, I remember one of the first times actually jumping into a car with somebody I didn't know and it didn't turn out very good and I got um, molested. Mm. I was just real, I felt like my, I was just damaged, like really, really damaged. I had real massive trust issues with everybody. Um, I was just trying to find love. Yeah. And um, just someone to say that they love me. Um, you know, I heard it from my parents. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. My my mom, my dad did say that to me. Uh, but I, I really felt sorry for them because I felt like, you know, that um, their upbringing failed them as well. So it was like a generational thing happening here. So I... Um, went up on K Road um, to um, look for my auntie and my auntie's transgender and um, what had happened was is that I remember back on times um, that whenever there was some kind of abuse in the family my auntie would who's transgender would come through and try and stop it and was the only one that came through and tried to stop it. And um, and that to me was quite courageous in itself, seeing that, especially experience and seeing it from like that perspective where uh, the real manly, manly man, as we would all know, um, that would be really violent. And for someone um, to be that courageous to step in between that and put themselves in that situation, you know, that's kind of what I thought, like, you know, I wanted to find my, you know, transgender auntie. K-Road's reputation is, um, it's like the red light district of um, of New Zealand, but uh, particularly in Auckland. And it's, um, if you're, you know, it's, it's kind of like the King's Cross of Sydney, you know, the St Kilda of, of, of um, Melbourne. A lot of, um, you know, ladies of the night that are on the street. Um, uh, there are a lot of gang members that were up there. They had their own sections um, where they um, kind of rule. Everyone knew their boundaries. Um, everyone knew their places and everyone knew where to go and where not to go, and where not to cross over, and there was just a just an unspeakable form of respect. I, I remember one of the first times being up there, I was um, I was quite intrigued because I was I was just sitting there watching this transgender um, sex worker that looked um, you know like a woman, like ultimately a woman. And um, I just sat there and watched because I was in awe at the time, you know, of um, uh, what, um, you know, the trench, you know, was doing. And then um, from there, I got to meet some of them. And I got to meet um, also um, more of the gay community, I guess. And from that, I I got to actually experience that there's a and there was another street back in the early nineties. It was called Beresford Street, and this is where all the male sex workers were. So we had um, 
you know, we had the main K Road, we had Mercury Lane, we had um, East Street, and that was where all the younger um, uh, transsexuals or, you know, queens would work. And then as you go to the top of the bridge, across the bridge over, uh, to Edinburgh, Gundry, um, that's where all of the old school queens would be, old school transgender. And th- that was they were very territorial. A lot of the youngest ones could not cross that way or else you will get a hiding, you know. And, um, yeah, yeah, so everyone kind of knew the place or the boundaries and the rules. And then also they had the, uh, around Hope Town Street and um, the telecom building. That's where all the real women would work. And uh, you'd come further down, cross the bridge going back towards Queen Street. And then you take a left um, going towards the motorway and your first street on the left is Beresford Street. And this is where all the gay men used to work. I think I came in with a heart of just like being aware because I've gone through so, so much at such an early age. Um, I really do believe now. Um, and I want to speak about like like I guess my faith now and my new identity in Christ I I just thank the good Lord because all I can say is that it really is him to the reason why I'm still alive today you know unfortunately some of my friends that I knew back in those days uh, they're not here to tell their story you know they're passed on and these are some of my best friends that that have um, you know um, left us and so um, this is one of my purposes of actually wanting to share this today, is to give people a sense of hope, I guess. And at the time, I was I was actually infatuated with, um, you know, women's clothes, um, you know, knee-high boots, heels, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I went into one of the these stores that I thought was just a store for shoes, and I found it was a sex shop, and. I had no understanding of all of that, you know, that I'm 12 years old. And I remember this gentleman in the store um, telling me, go and help myself to try and whatever I wanted, um, and then locking the door behind me. And um, and I remember watching another younger Asian girl who was similar to my age group. And then um, as I was trying the heels on, I could hear the gentleman describing me over the phone to someone. And that's when, like, uh, that's why I talk about discernment today. Like, I just thank the good Lord uh, for that because of that intuition and that discernment that God gave, you know. Just hearing him describe me made me just run quickly out of the store, you know. And I think about it that, like, I'm one of the lucky ones that got away because, like, really, I could have been... You know, I, I do believe that at that point in time, I would have been um, a victim of um, sex trafficking. It became a... I had to, I just had to find a way to make money. And, um, you know, because at that time I I knew that I, I looked, oh well, I started coming into confidence of knowing that I did look good. And so what I did was is that I, 
use that to my advantage and then I ended up um being corporate what was it, cooperative and being um yeah, getting into sex work just to make a living well you know, whilst I'd be out on the street. So what happened was is that I would have to engage in things that I didn't want to, um, to then, you know, um, pay for motel rooms and uh, stay in because I didn't want to stay on the street. I remember when I was like five or six, um, our next door neighbors took us to church and I remember this old lady, um, I, her name was Martha Edmonds. I think I was five or six. And she asked me, like I was a five-year-old little boy, do you know the Lord? And I didn't know what she was talking about. And But she, she goes, but I said to her, no. And then she took me at the back of the church and she took me through the sinner's prayer at five. And in all honesty, what I can say today is that that prayer that day at five years old has actually saved me through my whole life. This will sound really weird, but I, I loved God. But I was angry. I was angry at the Lord. I was like, why is this all happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? Why are we all going through this? You know, like, if, you know, we had, like, back in that, those days, a lot of the... Um, LGBT and gay community, we got told that, um, you know, that God hated us and there was no place for us. But I want to tell you, like, I'm telling you today, and I want to promise you, God does not hate us. We've been lied to for years. And I promise you, he loves you dearly, like more than anything in this whole world. Everyone that's ever been a sex worker out on K Road have all gone through those experiences. I'm kidding you not. You know, uh, people have been beaten, people have been raped, uh, you name it. Even people have lost their lives. It was just a very territorial place, and you just had to know your place, where you were allowed to work and where you weren't. And if you knew that you went in and allowed in a certain place um, and you went there, then you knew the repercussions of what's, what was going to happen. Um, and then, you know, so we had like um, gang members come over and try and do us over, you know, that was on a um, weekly, nightly basis. Uh, then we had um, the older transgender um, queens that would come in and they would do what they call standovers where they would strip you of everything you know shoes clothes what you're wearing on the night your handbag everything was gone and you're basically walking on camera naked um yeah yeah so there was like a there was like an unspoken world there um, and it, there was just an unspoken uh, respect that you just had to have when you were out there and you just had to clear yourself from anything that kind of gravitates to something real negative. Um, i got to say that God was my, um, my protector because I didn't have anyone that was protecting me on the street. And for all these years, I, I never had.
never had anyone that uh, protected me on the street. But what I can say is that uh, I adopted this idea because I used to see a lot of the older queens and even my generation of um, transgendered queens beating up the younger ones and me even um, having, I'm about 12 years old, having two um, queens attack me and, um, you know, trying to take my money and everything um, off me. And then I remember for the first time I had to fight, you know, um, at 12 and have a full-on punch-up and then um, literally uh, grabbing one of the transgender queens and putting her head through a windscreen so that, you know, that I would protect myself. Um, well, I guess, you know, the saving grace I can say about one thing about my dad is that he did put us in, uh, put me in boxing when I was younger. And that kind of gave me some sort of strength to be able to stand for myself when I actually got out there. I would have to say, go back to saying that my transgender ID was well respected by everybody. And then, you know, um, myself, I kind of, I was respected in the way that I wasn't like many. I wasn't the type that, like, a lot of transgenders, they, because they were traumatized by the things that they had done to them or other queens, you know, getting beaten up, um, getting um, their stuff taken off them, they became bitter. And when they became bitter, they started doing it to the new generation that was coming through. And I adapted a, a brand new mindset where whenever I'd see a new queen come on the street, I would quickly intervene for them. And I would, whenever I'd see someone trying to attack them, I would jump in and stop it. And I would, you know, um, come through and actually start looking after them and just trying to teach them the ropes, the, you know, the things that I had learned quickly. And because um, I just didn't want to see them go through the hurt that I went through because uh, it, it was it was really traumatizing. It really was. And that's where um, I, I believe that, you know, people started to understand and know who I was. Um, at the time, my name was Naomi on the street. And um, I was known for that. I wasn't, you know, I was known for always caring for people, um, always, like, trying to stop fights. Um, if clients in that war or anybody would be jumping, one of what we call sisterhood at the time, I would jump in for them and um, have a full-on brawl um, just to help a, a friend, you know. And um, that's kind of where I built my reputation. I really, truly believe that, you know, God had a purpose for it all because um, one of the things that actually happened was that um, I, I, one time I went to my auntie's house and was climbing up the spouting and then I fell down and I, um, I've got this little kind of cut here you can see inside that and then it got infected yeah and so my auntie was more concerned about how we we're going to pay for the spouting so that night we went on the street, we both were working, and, um, you know, she goes, I'll be back in soon, you know, because she went on a ride, and I'll be back soon, and then we can, you know, take you to the hospital because it was getting infected.
And this was when, well, this is one of my first experiences of God. And I remember I was asking so many people, like clients that were stopping for me, can you please take me to the hospital? And not one of them wanted to do that. They go, yeah, look, come, we'll go and do what we need to do. And then after that, I'll take you wherever you need to go. But um, I was kind of like shaking and getting quite sick. And I remember this one thing that my mum said to me, um, and it stood at the back of my mind, and she said that, like, if you're ever in trouble, call it up on the name of Jesus. And that was the first time I actually did that. And so um, I said to the Lord on that street at 14, I was like, Lord, I need you. And if you're real, show me that you're real. Because, yeah, I needed, I needed to get to the hospital. Yeah. And then, out of nowhere, and we've never had Christians walk at, around these pack of streets of K Road. Out of nowhere, these, um, this English couple came up, and they just said to me, Jesus loves you. And that was the... Um, that was the time I knew that he was real. So when when that happened, um, and they told me that Jesus loved me, I looked up into the sky, and like the star just went like really big, and then went back to being normal. And um, all I heard in my head at that time, because for so long I just wouldn't know that I was loved, and all I heard was, um, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, lots of ones to him belong. You know, we are we're weak, but he is strong. And I believe the wholeheartedly today. And they didn't judge me of who I was. They didn't. Um, they didn't look at that appearance. They they're looking into my soul and my heart. And they took me to the hospital. And they came every single day to the hospital to tell me about Jesus. And ever since that day, I gotta say, my life's never been the same. I know a lot of my friends, my um, queen friends, we've always had this argument. Yeah, they've, we've always been told that, you know, Jesus hates us. I promise you, like, like I'm, I'm burying my heart out today to everyone. Jesus is very real and he loves you dearly. And um, if he can change someone like me, he's got a purpose for you. Oh man, God's done so many amazing things, like, you know. He's reconciled my family. There's been forgiveness on, on all, you know, all through the family. Um, because God is all about reconciliation. God is all about love. God's healed me within the traumas that I used to go through, you know, you know. And I'm talking like, we're talking like, I went over to Australia to get away from all of this. Because I wanted a better life. Stayed there for 11 years. 
did really well in Australia. Um, I used to manage corporate call centers um, within the property investment sector. I started singing, doing music. Um, it was just a passion I loved. Um, and, you know, went overseas and did all of that. And um, it was amazing. God, you know, put some really great people around me. I, I came back from um, Australia um, for COVID. And at that time, um, from COVID, um, I didn't realize that I didn't heal from my traumas. You know what I mean? At the time, I knew God I was coming in and out of the experiences of um, going through a lot of things. And, but I thought I had healed from it at that time, but I didn't. So when I got back to New Zealand and... Um, New Zealand had really changed, South Auckland definitely. So when I came back from Australia, um, I came back for my mum and my brother um, to help look after them. And what happened was, because they're, they're both Maui, you know, my brother's got a brain tumour, uh, my mum's got Gray's disease. And so um, coming back to that and um, having to coming from a corporate end job to being on the benefit. And then, you know, um, it's a huge change and a, and a massive transition. And it made me feel like I was going backwards really quickly. And then being around friends and family that were all pretty much, you know, into drugs, alcohol, um, you know, into a lot of things that um, led me back again into the lifestyle. I was driving through Odahu, and uh, in Odahu they used to have this block of toilets at the top of, um, at the intersection, uh, right across the road from this pub. And how I knew I didn't heal from my traumas is that I just broke down crying because I remember when I was like 13 or 14, I got raped in that toilet. And um, from an island man, and I remember crying out to this parker guy that was like right there, and I was like, "Please, please help me." And um, he was just like, "No, you you wanted it, you liked it," and it, that was really traumatizing to me. And I, I like my friend that was driving the car that day didn't even know what was wrong with me, and I thought I had healed from that, but I didn't, and I literally like broke down. And that's what kind of led me straight back into the old lifestyle again. I would have to say about going on a year that I'm, I've been back fully with God. And God, you know, actually walking with God properly. And knowing Him and actually having a relationship with Him. And I can honestly say this time I feel healed. I had this resentment because I was when I was younger, I went to this church one time. It was my mum's church. I remember at this one youth group, I had a couple of um, girls, and I was really young, um, call me a, a puffed or a faggot in front of the whole church um, youth group. And um, I walked away from God for years, but had a relationship with him, but didn't really, you know, because I blamed him for what they did to me. Now, why that's relevant today is that when I came back to God, I came back to that same church. And um, it was uh, my mum's church. And she knew. 
and you know a lot of people knew what had happened and um, this is how amazing God is is that when I walked into the church one of the first person people I saw in that church was her and I just walked straight up to her and, and gave her the biggest hug and I just said I, I forgave you years ago and that's like the that's just the, the you know the mercy and love and the compassion that God has for us you know, no matter how many mistakes we've made, and I've made many, but he loves us dearly, and his mercies are new every day. I know right now, like, a lot of people will feel like they're not worthy of love. But I can say wholeheartedly that Jesus loves you, and that you just need to come to him and just ask him for real. And if you at that point in your life where I was, <clears throat> you've tried everything. You've tried every other religion. You've tried every other drug, everything, and nothing's worked. Let me tell you today, I can honestly stand today here confidently and say that I'm healed because Jesus died on the cross for me and he rose again so that my sins can be forgiven and that I can stand today with his strength, he bears all of my traumas now. He's taken them. I just want to just serve the Lord, whatever that looks like. That's that's my, that's where my heart is right now. So I'm at Trinity Church in Monaco, Flatbush, uh, 30 Hilltop Road. Guys, like, I don't, it doesn't matter where you come from. If you're a gang member, if you're a prostitute, if you're, um, if you're homeless, you know, you have a place here, you have a home here at our church. Please come, you're invited. And you know what? Um, to all of the alcoholics, druggies, um, everyone that shunned upon, come to church, sit next to me. Honestly, I was you. I, I was you many years ago. You come and sit next to me. It's all good. I won't judge you, neither will our congregation will actually um, invite you with arms wide open, I promise you.